And I'd like for you to turn in your New Testaments to 1 Thessalonians 5, 8 through 11. 1 Thessalonians 5, 8 through 11. What we are about to read is God's very word to us. So let us pay close attention to what God has to say. 1 Thessalonians 5, 8. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. I want to begin by reading a, a section of a book that was very famous back in the 90s in men's ministry called Point Man by Steve Farrar that describes an event in his life that I think might be helpful for us to understand what we're going to be looking at in 1 Thessalonians 5. He says, it is 1966. You are 18. You are in the absolute prime of your youth. Your whole life is ahead of you. But through a strange series of circumstances that you don't fully understand, suddenly your dreams are on hold. And you are in a country thousands of miles away. Welcome to Vietnam. On this particular day, you would give anything not to be here. You're going out on patrol. You've been on patrol before, but today is different. And that's why there's a knot in your gut and an icy fear in your heart. Today, you will be the point leading the patrol with the survival of seven men depending upon you. Your senses have never been so alive. Your adrenaline is surging. You can almost hear your heart rushing, uh, the blood rushing in your veins. You know the enemy is near, maybe hundreds of yards away. Intelligence reports report heavy in enemy activity in this area where you are now. Perhaps they can see you, but you do not have a clue where they are. As you gingerly make your way forward through the jungle, you've got one eye out for concealed wires in your path and the other scanning the trees for snipers. You never saw it coming. The violent shock and utter surprise of gunfire momentarily paralyzes you despite your instant reaction training. Before you can respond, a bullet tears through your flesh and explodes the bone in your leg. A thousand thoughts instantly flood your mind. Am I going to die? Where are these shots coming from? Will the battle be won? Am I going to lose my life with the next round of bullets? Will there be reinforcements? Now, I'd like to make one small change in this vignette that makes all the difference. Same situation, except for this. You've got full body armor on. And the bullet strikes you 
and it hurts and it thuds and it falls to the ground. And uh, that makes a difference. And not only are you in full body armor, but reinforcements are coming. And they do arrive. And the, the enemy is, is just totally dealt with. So why begin with this story? In 1 Thessalonians 4 and 5, it has to do with Christ's return. And particularly in 1 Thessalonians 4, it's all about the anticipation for that great moment when the sky will part and Christ will come and there'll be the, the trumpet and the, 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 the charge of God and the screaming of, of, of Jesus, the warrior who's coming back. And we are to, to encourage one another with the fact that, that reinforcements are coming and they're unstoppable. It's going to be glorious, but in 1 Thessalonians 5, the second coming of Christ isn't just about anticipation. No, Paul talks about the anticipation, but in 5, it, we're, we're not like children waiting on the street corner for our father to pick us up, to take us to safety. And sometimes that's kind of what the second coming kind of feels like to people. One day we're going to get taken out of here. And, and, the, and, the, and the, the thing we need to focus on is that sense of anticipation. That's 4, 1 Thessalonians 4. 5 says something different. 5 says we wait in a war. Let me say that again. We wait, anticipate, in a war that God is going to win and win decisively. So... I would like to work off of a, of a sentence today, and I want you to write this down, maybe on the top of your bulletin, somewhere on your bulletin. Write this sentence down, and it'll help us understand this passage. Here's the sentence. We belong to the day because Jesus died in the dark. Let me say it again. We belong to the day because Jesus died in the dark. I want to begin with, with Paul's words, we belong to the day. It's verse 8, since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and a hel- the helmet of hope of salvation. Now, I'd love for you to, to go back four verses in 1 Thessalonians 5 to verse 4, and you'll see a, a contrast between, quote, the children of night and the children of the day. And it's a really stark contrast. Verse 4, but you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day Christ coming to surprise you like a thief. Verse 5, for you are all children of the light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then, let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. And 
Paul says in verse 8, we belong to the day. And, and we are characterized generally, and we'll get to that in a moment, generally uh, as living in the light and conveying that light to other people. But darkness opposes the light. You see, that's what this is about. Darkness opposes the light. And, and the little church that, it, that had just come into being through the Apostle Paul's teaching in Thessalonica, you know, is this tender group of new believers who really understand the gospel, really understand the forgiveness and the connection and the new birth that they have in Christ. They feel the opposition. Uh, there's been, we read in 1 Thessalonians, a riot, excuse me, in the book of Acts, about First Thessalonians, they, we read about a riot and there are beatings. Uh, one of the leaders of the church named Jason was beaten. There are imprisonments. I mean, can you imagine if somebody walked in here and start dragged several people out, beat them within an inch of their lives and threw several of y'all in prison? Do you think we would feel a little opposition to what we're doing here? Yeah, they, they understood children of the day will experience opposition. We belong to the day, and the kingdom of God is coming through our lives. Yes, our lives. Believe it or not. The kingdom of God is coming through our lives. The kingdom of God is coming through our words. The kingdom of light is right now through the church peeling back the kingdom of darkness. And Satan is losing real estate now. He is losing people now, and he does not like losing. And so he fights. He opposes. But his warfare isn't with what we would call physical or normal weapons. No, no, he'll try to trap you. He'll ambush you. He'll tempt you. He'll deceive you. He'll try to seduce you. He'll try to discourage you. What he wants to do is is get us off track with the kingdom of God. He he wants to to, to take us out of that, that path, that good, straight and narrow path that Christ wants us to walk in, walking in the light. He wants to tempt us. He wants to cast shadows, deep shadows over our lives and introduce shame into our lives in order to neutralize the children of of light of the day. And y'all, we take hits. This warfare is real. And sometimes we lose skirmishes in this warfare. Sometimes we we take the bait. Sometimes we do begin to to love money more than God. Uh, There there are times that we worship power and influence and, and want that more than humility and the glorification of God. We begin to relish another person more than we relish our relationship with God. We begin to focus on ourselves and our pleasures. And this happens when sinners, I'm talking about children of the day, 
are in a war with the kingdom of darkness. But I want you to know that losing a skirmish is not equal to losing the war. And we're going to talk about the, how that victory comes through this passage. Don't you wish that warfare with the kingdom of darkness, with Satan, don't you wish it was more like um, warfare, I love history as you know, warfare in the Revolutionary War. You know, in the Revolutionary War, there was no mistaking who the enemy was and where he was. There they are, lined up, you know, perfectly. And you see it? I'm talking a perfect line of red jackets. There they are in a formation, wheeling on the field. There they are, marching right up to us and stopping and, and firing at us. Um, wouldn't it be great if Satan's opposition was that obvious? If he was that obvious, we would much more easily reject him. See how foolish these things really are. But unfortunately, spiritual warfare is more like an ambush in Vietnam than it is some two armies wheeling about on a battlefield. No, there is sudden fire from an unseen enemy. There is sudden attack at the place most vulnerable, and you didn't see it coming. Therefore, our waiting is war. And Paul says in verse 8 that we are to be sober. That is, in terms of warfare, we are to be alert, to be vigilant of of the enemy's um, whereabouts. We are to be Vigilant soldiers, and he says, we are to put on armor. Remember how that story's different when you have armor on, that first story about Vietnam? We are able to put on armor, and this is for our protection. The armor that we read about in this passage in 1 Thessalonians 5 is defensive, and there's a reason for that. We're not supposed to attack the children of darkness. We're supposed to love the children of darkness while taking fire from the enemy. You see, this is what's so hard about true Christianity. We just don't go attack those, quote, bad people. You know, we don't try to make people's lives miserable So they'll think twice about attacking us ever again. No, we take fire from them while we lay our lives down and sacrifice for them. That's what Jesus taught us, didn't he? This is amazing. And so, so what, what God gives us is defensive weapons and offensive weapons in Ephesians 6, the, the, the sword of the spirit. But here in this passage, they are defensive weapons. Romans 13:12 says this, the night is nearly over. Isn't that great? The night is nearly over. The day, final day is almost here. So let us put, let us put aside the deeds of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. If you'd like to do a study on the spiritual armor of God, you need to uh, mark down, write down Ephesians 6. And that is the most detailed study. And I'll give you a book to read. It's by William Gurnall. Uh, it's called The Christian in Complete Armor. If you want to write that down. The Christian in Complete Armor. It is a book about that thick, just on the armor of God. If you really want to study that, and I hope you do. 
Paul abbreviates the armor here to these two pieces of armor that are defensive while we're in a war in ministry in a fallen world. They are the breastplate and the helmet. And any Roman soldier could tell you if you walked up to him on his beat in, in Jerusalem or, or if you walked up to him in Thessalonica, what are the, the two most important defensive pieces of armor? He would say the breastplate and the helmet. Because the breastplate covered your vital organs. You know, you get, you get stabbed. Have, have you ever, one, have you ever marveled? I have marveled how on the one hand, how resilient human beings are and what they overcome. And, and yet how, how easy to destroy human beings are. I mean, you, you get stuck by a knife right somewhere here. You're gone. It's amazing. And so the breastplate covers the vital organs. The, the helmet, of course, covers the, your head, covers your, your brain, your, your mind. Verse 8 of the text, but since we belong to the day, because of this, let us be sober. Let us be vigilant soldiers, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. I'd like to talk about these two armors, uh, pieces of armor for a moment before we move on to that, that last piece of that sentence. Faith and love as a breastplate. Faith is what protects us against temptation, against the wiles of the devil. We hurt ourselves spiritually, generally, when we don't trust God. You wonder why we hurt ourselves spiritually. It simply has to do with the fact that we lose faith. We don't trust God. Remember Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden and everything was provided for them I reject the notion that the tree in the center of the garden had better looking fruit than any other fruit. I guarantee you, all the fruit of the garden was delicious. God walked with Adam in the cool of the day. God gave them everything, gave them relationship, but they refused to trust in God's goodness. They took matters into their own hands. We want to know the whole picture and be like God. And no good and evil. And so they didn't trust God and they, 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 they took the fruit. Same with us. We, we are also tempted and we have God's precious promises. We have his love and commitment. We know deep in our hearts if we belong to him that he is good and right and just, don't we? We have seen him in our lives. And still... We say, but but just in case he's not going to come through, I've got to take matters into my own hand. I'm not going to trust. I'm not going to put my faith in God's goodness and God's providence. I'm going to go and make it happen. Sin is a result of not trusting God. And the breastplate of faith helps us to knock down temptation. Because we say, no, God will provide. We're going to walk, we're going to choose God. We're going to trust God. We're going to have our faith in God as we walk in, in this life in, in different areas of our life. So the second part is that, that love is the other thing that the breastplate is made of. And love begs this question. What do we really delight in? What, what, are, what are our chief affections? Because that's going to determine what you're going to do. Whatever, you know, St. Augustine said, 
tell me what you love. Tell me who you love, and I'll tell you all about your life spiritually. I'll tell you who your God is and what he's like. And so when the breastplate is love, there, there is this kind of strength and comfort and confidence that comes from receiving God's love and giving that love to other people. This is the thing that we are seeking in our lives. We are seeking love. Isn't it true? One of the reasons that we do the things we do is because we're so desperate for love. And God is saying, receive my love. Rest in my love. Let it be, as it were, a, a breastplate so you can say, I, 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 already, I already am loved enough. In fact, I want to love you. And, and let us love one another with this love. We are coded with vitality, with God's love. We are unprotected when we don't receive God's love. And as the old song used to say, and go looking for love in all the wrong places. But love isn't just a comfort and a strength to help us. Love is like a compass as well. We can ask the question, can't we? Not just are we receiving and resting in the love of God. That's strong. But we can ask the question, can't we? What's the most loving thing to do? Now that is a a value determination right there that comes out of love. It's not just out of fear. It's not just taking control. It's not a lack of trust in God. It's literally asking what is the most loving thing to do. That cuts through so much. And so put on the breastplate of faith to knock down temptation and love to be able to have strength and confidence and rest and to be able to give love and not substitute for other loves because this is how satan works secondly is the helmet the helmet is called the helmet of the hope of salvation now we know the helmet covers the head or the center of thinking And you know what Satan really wants to do in our lives? Satan wants to confuse us. There's a lot of trickery. And and Satan really would like for us in this trickery, like the the, the end goal, the, the thing that if he really were beginning to get to us and be successful, he would like for us to even question our salvation. Um, he tries to discourage us, doesn't he? If you're a believer in Christ, I'm going to say something about you. You sin. We sin, though we are believers in Christ. How can we be justified in a sinner at the same time? That was Martin Luther's great question about how outrageous the grace of God is through Jesus. So, we sin. And what does Satan do? What does our enemy do when we sin? You call yourself a Christian. You call yourself a Christian. You're such a hypocrite. Do you actually think God wants you anymore? Maybe God doesn't love you anymore. Maybe God's done with you. Maybe you're just not going to be able to be used for God's glory anymore. These are lies. These are lies. Discouragement of of various kinds this is one of the enemy's primary weapons and we are much too easy a target and so we need to have our mind protected by learning the scriptures 
We need to say, like Jesus said in his temptations in the wilderness, when Satan tempted him to, you know, go for this or go for that. And remember what Jesus would answer? He didn't just say, go away, Satan. He said, have you not read Satan? Do you, know, do you not know? It was the word of God. It, was, it is the truth that protects And the helmet of the hope of salvation allows us to knock down those bullets. And we can boldly say with Paul in 2 Timothy 1.12, I know, I know whom I've believed. And I am persuaded that he is able to guard that which I've entrusted to him against that day. You see, that is so different when that, those, those, those discouragements come against us, right? Wouldn't it be great to have God's word and say, no, I know whom I believe. This is what I know. And I am persuaded that not only can I trust God, but, but I can trust him to guard that which he has, has laid up for me. This thing's going all the way because I know him and you're not going to tell me that I don't know him. And you're not going to tell me he doesn't love me anymore. The answer is no. It's pretty amazing if you think about it, isn't it? That, that learning the word of God is one of the great defensive piece of armor. Now in Ephesians 6, the, the sword of the spirit is the word of God as well. And there's kind of an offensive way that the truth uh, gains the victory in a different kind of way as well. So, we belong to the day, but we wait for the second coming in a war. And do you remember this sentence? We belong to the day because Jesus died in the dark. And when we look at that second part, this idea that the reason we belong to the day is that Jesus died in the dark. And of course, I'm referring to the cross. I'm referring to when darkness covered the earth while Jesus died. The gospel, the good news is our primary weapon of protection. The good news is our primary weapon and confidence and encouragement and strength. And and these two verses that I'm about to read again basically boil down to this. No wrath, always with. This is life. No wrath, Always with, verse 9, for God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, whether we are living or we have died, so that no matter when, we might live with him. No wrath Always with him. Jesus died in the darkness so we could live in the light. Do you understand, Stood that you, and there's a lot of ways you could kind of take the metaphor for uh, to help us understand that Jesus literally took your sin, my sin, our darkness to the cross and defeated it. He took our darkness and he defeated it. But you know, the words that are used here are, are words that really need to be said out loud in 2016. Because a lot of times when we talk about salvation, we talk about all the great things we get with Jesus. 
But you know, the other side of this is, is all the things that we don't get because of Jesus. The reason Jesus died is because we are sinners. The reason we can live in the light is because Jesus himself took our wrath. That's why there will be no wrath for believers. Jesus took our sin, went to the cross, and God punished Christ in our place to the utter nth of his full wrath. There is therefore now, Paul says in Romans 8.1, no condemnation, no wrath for those who are in Christ Jesus. And when we put our trust in him, we who deserve the wrath of God, we receive, as we put our trust in him, total forgiveness, clearing of our sins, righteousness declared, and relationship with him forever. Whether we are awake, alive, or whether we are dead, there is not any wrath, and he will always love us. He will always be with us that we might always, quote, live with him. Let me tell you the one enemy that you don't want. God. That's the enemy you don't want. And his everlasting wrath that cannot be withstood and will never be quenched. No wrath because Jesus took the wrath. Always with. Because whether we are alive or asleep, We have been given relationship. So that's the fruit of the gospel. That is why we are finally going to win because Christ has already defeated sin on the cross and death in the empty tomb. This is where our true life comes from. And that's why verse 11 says this. Therefore, encourage one another, build each other up as you are doing. That's kind of like a double thing. As we are living in community together, in the church as we know one another and things are so bad we, you know we can say but God loves you so much but you, you're never going to experience the wrath of God and you know God is with you and you know that breastplate you can trust God I know it doesn't look like it's going the way you want it to go but you can trust God you can put your faith in God knock that bullet down by faith you can remember that you know whom you've believed and, and your mind can be protected we're, we're, we're going to win here Encourage one another, build one another up, just as you are doing. Now I want to move to a close by saying that Jesus himself is encouraging us today. You see that table set before us? Jesus set that table. I mean, literally Jesus didn't um, put the trays and the bread out. But the reason that table is there is because Jesus said, I want a supper. And I want you to celebrate it often. And I want you to be able to remember the cross and what I've done. Remember the empty tomb. And I want you to know that not only is there no wrath, but I want you to know I'm with you. I want you to remember. I want you to commune, participate with me. I want you to come to this table, Jesus is saying to us, and repent of not trusting me. All of us can do that today. I can do that today. I want you to come to this table and repent. I want you to realign yourself with me and my glory. 
I want you to be renewed by me. I want you to know my love again. I want you to know your future again. I want to drive the fear out of your life at this table with me. With me. And I, and I want you to know that the victory is already yours and will finally be yours one day. Some of the best stories of war have to do with a very brave group of people who are fighting to the death and they're holding their ground and it doesn't look good when suddenly hundreds or thousands sometimes of reinforcement troops arrive while they are holding that piece of ground against what seems to be at that moment a superior enemy. But he is not superior. And victory is decisive. That's, that's what's going to happen one day. That's what Ephesians 4, I mean, excuse me, 1 Thessalonians 4 says, when the sky breaks open, we're going to be in this warfare. We're going to be waiting with anticipation. We're going to be waiting in this warfare. And we're going to be asking God for faith. We're going to be asking God for a great experience of his love to be able to love. We're going to be asking God to be able to think clearly about our lives. And he's, he's going to come. And, the, and he's going to bring way superior reinforcements from heaven. And it's not even going to be a question as soon as we see him and hear him. I know that you get discouraged. So do I. I know that you get sidetracked and tangled up in Satan's webs and in his traps. And so do I. But we need to see that Jesus went into the heart of darkness to make you a child of the light, that there is no wrath for you, only with Jesus. And we need to see that complete victory is coming one day when Christ returns. And Jesus said these words in instituting the supper. I will not eat again from this fruit of the vine and drink of this fruit of the vine until I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. And he said this in the instituting of the supper. As often as you do this, you do it and show forth the Lord's death until he comes again. But now in the midst of our warfare, let us go to the table of grace, the means of grace to be strengthened by Jesus and with Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that you would help us to see clearly because of your scriptures. Lord, we, we, we know, we feel the pressure. We, 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 we feel the cross currents of all kinds of things in our lives. And Lord, there are people here who need to see that you are victorious. They're discouraged. Would you lift up the cross to help them see that? 
Lord, there are people here who are discouraged because they have lost skirmishes. And they are just wondering where you are in their lives right now. Would you help them see that this is no wrath and always with? And would you help them know that you have got them and gotten a hold of them through your love, through the cross? If you've never put your trust in Jesus and you want to face God's wrath alone with your puny righteousness and your little list of what you think is going to make you acceptable before a holy God, but you see that that's not going to work, and you want to put your faith in Jesus, pray with me, Lord, I I see it. You are so holy, and I want to turn from my sin, and I want to turn from everything that I have called religion in any kind of way, and all that I have called Christianity, and I want to put my trust, Jesus, in what you have done for me, in my place, taking the wrath of God for me to give me forgiveness and life. Oh, Lord, we pray as we approach this table that it would be uh, with a sense of humility and gratitude, but also, God, would you let it be with a sense of worship and joy. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.